Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Christian Project, joined by just myself today, and I'm going to be speaking about self-discipline. But before we get into that, two things to say. Number one, if you have been listening to this podcast for quite some time and you're genuinely enjoying it, I'm going to ask you very nicely um, to share it with someone who you think might benefit from that. That would be a great, huge help to me. It's super difficult to promote a podcast anywhere and you sharing it, you even liking it is a good thing. And I really appreciate that you're listening. If you're one of my few faithful followers, you're awesome and I love you. So yeah, just share it with someone who you think might benefit from it. And number two, I have a story. Uh, It it kind of relates to self-discipline, but hopefully it's a little bit funny. Basically, there was a man and he brought his son to a grocery store. But as soon as they walked in the store, this child began to throw an enormous temper tantrum, screaming and, and yelling and wanting to throw every single thing into the cart and then throwing it back out of the cart. And overall, he was just being super annoying. Now, despite the scene that the son was causing, the father was super calm, super collected, slowly and calmly saying, don't worry, Donald, it'll be all right. Donald will be home soon. And one of the nearby mothers who was in the grocery store as well was just extremely impressed. She was looking at the father's self-control and she was amazed by how he was remaining so calm during this child's temper tantrum. So she went, she went up to the, to the guy and said, sir, I am amazed that you are able to stay so calm. It's not every day I get to see such self-control and patient parenting. Now, little guy, what seems to be the problem, Donald? The father said, oh, no, ma'am, you're mistaken. This is my son, Henry. I'm Donald. I <laughs> get it. He was saying, don't worry, Donald, to himself. Anyways, just a little bit of a fun story for you, but on the topic, self-discipline. Most of us, when we hear the word self-control, you probably fall into one of two categories. If you're like most of us, you probably don't like listening to that word. Self-discipline is not a fun word. It kind of brings to mind a lack of freedom. In some cases, it brings to mind pain or forcing you out of your comfort zone and to do things that you do not want to be doing. Then there's the minority. The minority love the word discipline. It energizes them, gives them strength, because they've seen and reaped the benefits of discipline in their own lives. So if you're like most of us, where you don't like self-discipline, then you're in a good place, because today we're going to be speaking about self-discipline. Even if you do like self-discipline, this is still a good place to be. But my question is, why do we as Christians struggle so much with self-discipline while others seem to be completely fine? For example, how come for Christians, it's harder to control our own urges? We can't control resisting temptation. We can't control falling into sin sometimes. It's harder for us to discipline our bodies. Like how many times have you fallen into a temptation despite not wanting to and trying your hardest not to fall into that temptation? So why is that the case? And how come others seem to be completely fine and disciplining their bodies and being doing great? So 
first thing to understand here is there are two types of self-discipline. Number one, there is discipline that comes completely from ourselves. And I like to call this one physical discipline. So an example of this is an athlete who trains and disciplines themselves rigorously in order to compete in races or events or competitions like a marathon runner or a bodybuilder or some kind of Olympics. Great example. Some kind of athlete. Another example from my own life and maybe from your life is waking up early and not hitting the snooze button. So these are completely physical demands. And it relies on a physical discipline of yourself. And this is where you see athletes who have more self-discipline than Christians. But, this is a big but, let us be clear. The physical self-discipline that is required to win a race or to compete in the Olympics or whatever it is, is no match for the spiritual battles that you will face. You can never win your salvation through self-discipline. You can never win your salvation by good works. So while we're on that topic, let's look at the other type of discipline, which is godly discipline. Godly discipline aids us in our spiritual battles, and spiritual battle, battles are inherently different than physical ones, though the two can be connected. An example a spiritual battle you may face is lust. And lust tends to manifest itself in your physical body by inviting you to partake in some kind of physical enjoyment sexually. So by disciplining yourself physically to avoid that activity, you'll still be lusting. Even though you avoided it physically, spiritually, you've still committed that sin. And we know that Jesus talks about that when he's saying, even if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So the physical discipline that it takes to not commit that still has no effect on the spiritual sin that you committed when you lusted in your heart. Does that make sense? So two types of discipline here, physical and spiritual. The physical kind of comes from yourself. And the spiritual does not. And we see that the two disciplines, physical and spiritual, are independent, and yet they're also intertwined. So, for example, when you try to use physical discipline for a spiritual battle, there is one of two outcomes. The first is that you lose. That's fairly obvious using your physical discipline to win a spiritual battle, your option one is you're going to lose. Option two is that you pride yourself because you won a, or you think you won a spiritual battle with your own strength. So you either lose or you're proud of yourself for winning that battle with your own physical discipline. So it seems like regardless, you fall into sin. On the one hand, you fell into the sin of whatever it was that you were facing, or on the other hand, you fall into pride. So you cannot win a spiritual battle with physical discipline. Something you got to know. It requires God. And we see also that spiritual self-discipline is actually 
something like a virtue. In fact, if we're reading from Galatians 5, 22 to 23, it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Paul listed it as the last fruit of the spirit. And something that you have to understand is the fruit of the spirit is not something that we produce ourselves. Fruit of the spirit doesn't come from within us. Think of all those things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. I guarantee you it's not coming from within you. Maybe you have one, two of those qualities, but more so you're focused on yourself, on your selfishness. Those fruits of the spirit are not coming from within you. So where do they come from? Well, in John 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears that much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we understand that simply we are the branches. Jesus is the vine. If we are disconnected from Jesus, we do not bear any fruit. We have nothing. We're not producing this fruit ourselves. We only bear it when we are connected to Jesus. Further, further proving that this godly discipline does not come from within us. It's impossible. It's only given by God when we abide in Jesus. So this is interesting. I think that godly discipline, the one that comes from Jesus, can actually help you in your physical ventures as well. And here we have an advantage that those athletes don't really have. I'll give a personal example. Not too long ago, I was on the treadmill. And let me just tell you, I hate, hate running. I actually despise running. It is so boring and it just hurts. Like my lungs are, are on fire, my, my quads and my calves and my shins are, are, are in pain. My entire body is just, and my mind is just bored. Anyways, I hate running. But as I was on the treadmill, I was realizing this gift that I have that I'm physically able to actually run and move my body. And I was also repeating this verse to myself. The verse says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race, all runners are running, but only one receives the prize? So run in order that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Lots of, <laughs> lots of things to go over there, but let's start here. We'll keep it, stick to my own example so we don't get off topic. I was repeating those verses to myself as I ran. I like to memorize verses. I like to memorize scripture and repeat it to myself when I feel like I need it because that has been a spiritual discipline that I found a lot of value in. And 
knowing that I discipline my body, not from my own strength and for my own gain, but also from God and for God, help me to run better and to continue running. If I didn't repeat those verses to myself, odds are I would have stopped after maybe a kilometer, two kilometers, walked a little bit, ran a little bit, walked a little bit, gave up. But that day, I ended up hitting a record on the treadmill because A, I was repeating those verses to myself and B, I was thankful for the gift that God gave me. So we see that the two are connected, physical and spiritual self-discipline, but it's almost like a one-way street because spiritual self-discipline is much greater than the physical. Spiritual gives us an advantage that physical doesn't have. So in a way, taking care of yourself is a spiritual discipline, depending on the motives behind it. Think of it like this. If I am developing a discipline in order to better myself, for example, eating healthier so I can be healthier and I can look better and I can feel better, this discipline is coming from me. It's physical. But if I am developing this discipline in order to better glorify God, then it is spiritual. So to satisfy that, what does it mean to glorify God in your body? Well, let's look at it like this. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, open it now. Paul actually speaks about glorifying God in your bodies. He says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Well, what does that mean? Well, before we can answer that, we have to satisfy all those people who love the context. And and we have to see what was happening in the Corinthian church what situation Paul was specifically seeking to address, understand the historical significance, and then recontextualize it into our lives today. In other words, let's perform an exegesis on this passage to see what it truly means. So if you don't know, Paul and the Corinthian church had a pretty rocky relationship. The two letters we have in our Bible, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, are actually believed to be letters 2 and 4, meaning we're missing letters 1 and 3. We know that Paul wrote them a previous letter because in 1st Corinthians 5 verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, meaning he's written them a letter before and maybe they ignored it, maybe they had trouble keeping it, whatever it was. So clear, what, what we see in First and Second Corinthians is that the church was struggling, in First Corinthians specifically, was struggling with divisions in the church. We see that from chapter 1, verse 10, with lawsuits among believers, chapter 6, verse 4, having pagan influences, chapter 12, verse 2, and a big one is sexual immorality. Basically, the entire chapter of five is about sexual immorality. They were going through a lot. Now, 
when we focus specifically on chapters five and six, we zoom in a little on their problem with sexual immorality. If you don't know, the Greek city of Corinth was known for being a place of sexual corruption. In fact, the philosopher Plato, which I think you've probably heard of, had a phrase, and this is a pretty funny phrase, in his book, Republic, he referred to prostitutes as Corinthian girls. So if you're a Christian who's had a sexually promiscuous past, let's say maybe you've struggled with pornography like a lot of young men have, you know it is quite difficult to fully stop and turn away from your past sins. It's extremely difficult. Here's the thing. The same struggle was happening with the men of Corinth. And it seems like in 1 Corinthians 6 from verses 12 to 20, Paul seems to be quoting some of the local men and what they were saying and arguing against them with scriptural, spiritual truths as well. So it's kind of like a dialogue going on between these new believers who are weak in their faith and still slaves to their past sin and not wanting to change, and between Paul, who is trying to convince them to change. So for example, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So when you're reading this, you may seem a little bit confused. Hearing it, you may seem a little bit confused. Like, why is Paul saying all things are lawful for me? What? It seems like he's contradicting himself. Well, here's the thing. Some translations have a quotation marks around the all things are lawful for me. In other words, he is quoting what the Corinthian men were saying to him. They were stating that all things were permissible for them, saying, I can do whatever I want. So when Paul says all things are lawful, he's quoting them and then saying, no, not all things are helpful for you. And then he quotes them again. And they're saying, Paul, all things are lawful for me. And he says, I will not be dominated by anything. So we see that the men here are basically saying, Paul, I can do whatever I want. I am free in Jesus. It may even be the case that the men were arguing for their right to see prostitutes because of their freedom as believers. And Paul is essentially telling them, guys, you're tricking yourselves. Your freedom does not mean that everything you do is beneficial for you. You're not only damaging your spiritual life, but also your body. Your body belongs to the Lord, not a prostitute. And that is the entire section from 12 to 20 about fleeing sexual immorality. He says, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Free, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And then here we get the verse telling us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. We were bought with a price, so glorify God in our bodies. So how can we recontextualize this passage to fit into today's day and age? Well, first we have to understand the principle. 
The principle of this passage is that our bodies belong to the Lord. First, he created them, and second, he bought them and redeemed them so they doubly belong to him. Therefore, as stewards of what God has given us, it is our responsibility to use these bodies in a way that glorifies and honors God. In the context of the Corinthians, this was sexually a.k.a. do not engage in sexual activities outside of marriage with prostitutes. In our own context, it still means the same thing. But this principle can extend to more than just sex, especially in our postmodern view of my body belongs to me, I can do whatever I want, my body, my choice. No, your body belongs to God. As such, you have a duty, a responsibility to treat it with care, respect, and handle it rightly. To give you a practical example, if I give you a Ferrari, just as a gift, I paid for this Ferrari, I've given it to you, and I tell you, take care of it. If you know anything about cars, you know that there are certain responsibilities. You have to continually keep that car clean on the outside so it doesn't rust. You have to drive the car enough that the oil and the mechanics and everything inside it doesn't get stuck and go and go bad. You have to perform regular maintenance for it so that you don't wear it out. You have to feed it the highest quality fuel to make sure that it runs optimally. And obviously, you don't just let anyone use it. It's a Ferrari. Probably you're just your spouse can use it. Otherwise, you're giving yourself the freedom to ruin the car. Your body is a Ferrari. It's a gift from God. You have the responsibility to take care of it. You have to keep it clean. You have to use your body so that you can protect your health and continue serving God with it. You have to perform your maintenance, regular boring things like brushing your teeth and taking the medicine and vitamins that you need to, and even allowing your body to rest. You have to feed yourself the highest quality food, not junk food made of plastic with no nutritional value for your body. In other words, you have to discipline your body and take care of it. Now, sometimes this discipline comes from you and sometimes it comes from God, depending on your motives behind the discipline. Are you disciplining your body because you want to look better for yourself, for your own confidence? Okay. Sure, but that discipline is coming from you. Or are you disciplining your body to be a better steward of what God has gifted you with? Are you disciplining your body to glorify God in it, to take care of it, to serve God with this precious gift that he has given you? If that's the case, then God will give you the self-discipline that you need. He will help you bear that fruit in order to better take care of this gift that he has given you. Does that make sense? I really hope so. And I really hope that you enjoyed this episode about self-discipline, glorifying God in your bodies, where self-discipline comes from. It comes from the Lord if it is used for the Lord. Love you all. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Healthy Christian Project. And again, feel free to share this with anyone who would benefit from it. Chat next time. 
and have a lovely day, everyone.